right. Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we have the teaching handouts available. You should have been able to grab those on the way in. But if you don't have those, just shoot up your hand real quick and we'll have an usher bring you a copy. And then everyone online, we have them available on our website. And they're just everywhere. They we're just dropping them everywhere. Can't turn around without getting the handout. Okay. Second Corinthians five. <clears throat> I'm gonna this morning, share just a little bit about what it means to be a new creation in Christ. It's one of the core foundational gospel messages uh, that we have that is taught in the New Testament. And I want to look at this verse. This verse was touching my heart back there just during worship in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. It's not in the teaching handout, but if you have your Bible, just look at it. Paul says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, sometimes we think of our faith being tested in terms of enduring really difficult circumstances. Uh, we go through a, tr- a trial. We lose a loved one. Um, we, we have something very painful happen in our lives. We often think of our faith being tested by negative things and bad news. But uh, as I was sitting back there and just contemplating what Paul is talking about here and the, the subject for this morning, beginning down in verse 17, I began to just realize that one of the tests of our faith is to believe what is so good and what is so true about the gospel. Not just the negative things that we encounter in our life, but actually the riches of the glory of God's grace. I mean, those riches can be really hard to believe sometimes. You woke up this morning, if you're in Christ, as one of the most rich, blessed privileged people in all of human history. The worst day for the Christian is better than the best day for the unbeliever. Because of the riches of the gospel of grace, what God has given to us, what he's deposited to us, out of the overflow of his grace and mercy. I mean, he's done the impossible. He's done what we could not do on our own. He's made a way for us to have access to the Father, to be one with the Spirit, to be one with the very Godhead, to be joined with them in fellowship for all of eternity. I mean, it's incredible. We woke up the most rich, wealthy, blessed people in all of human history. I wanna tell you, that's a test of your faith. Because if you're like me, you woke up this morning Everything was creaking and groaning. You could not discern if it was your house or your ankles or your hips or knees. You looked in the mirror, and you're like, wow, we got a lot of work to do before we can be seen by society. Let's get to work. We start with a chainsaw, kind of go from there. <laughs> the Lord wants us to believe the truth of the gospel. He wants that to be our foundation, our starting place, our orientation. 
to believe the mysteries of the gospel and to hold on to them. It is a test of our faith. And as we begin to look at some of these things this morning, my hope is that God would refresh us in the joy of our salvation, that many that are facing challenging circumstances, despair, discouragement in their life, in their ministry, in their jobs, their relationships, that today that you would remember that God has won the victory for you already. That you've entered in to the victory of the cross at the moment of your salvation, the new birth, and you don't have to strive to get the approval, the love, the affection, to be approved by God according to his righteous holy standard that Christ has done it for you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Did you believe that this morning when you looked at yourself in the mirror? Did you believe that you're a new creation, that heaven sees you as a new creation filled with the life and the brilliance and the light of God? The old things, Paul tells us, have passed away. And all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Notice that it's the work of God that he himself has done the work to reconcile you to the Father by the Son. Look down at verse 21. The Father made the Son who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took on our sins. He took on our evil, our vileness, our wickedness, our depravity. He became our very sins so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we come before you and we love your ministry. We love your word. We ask that the gospel would burn brightly in this people. We ask that you would change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation and that a generation that would arise, that would believe the truth of the gospel, that would have confidence in it, that would rejoice in it, that would fellowship in the light, that would drink of the riches of the knowledge of God, the glory of our inheritance, the gospel of Jesus Christ, how much of you've made available to us, Lord. We wanna even taste it this morning in an increased measure. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul in this passage is talking about Christian victory. He's defining Christian victory. And the truths that are in these few verses here, as well as other places in the New Testament, are to give us courage and confidence related to the victory that Christ has secured for our lives. The Lord wants us to be confident in the victory that Jesus has procured for us. He wants us to be confident in what he has done and that our confidence would not come from our righteous deeds, but Christ's righteous deeds. 
What is it that makes you confident to approach God in worship and prayer? What is it that, it, that makes you confident to move and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit towards one another? Where does your sense of spiritual confidence come from? For many believers, their sense of confidence comes from if they've done well the last few weeks in their devotional life, and if their devotional life is steady, and if their sin life is down, then they have a greater sense of confidence to approach God. They come into church, they come into Christian fellowship, their friendship group, whatever it may be, and their confidence either rises and falls based upon what they've done in the last 24 hours or the last eight or nine days. The Lord wants us to carry ourselves with confidence before him, not because of how well we've done, but how well he's done. How well Christ has done. The life that he lived now becomes our life through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a holy and divine exchange that happens at the new birth. When we surrender our works to God, we surrender our striving to God, we recognize our need for a savior that we cannot save ourselves from sin and death. And when we surrender to God, There's a holy and divine exchange that happens and Christ says, I'll take the ashes of your life. I'll take your sin. I'll take your failure. I'll take your wickedness, your vileness, you on your worst day in your worst state. I'll take it all. I'll become that and I'll allow it to be crucified on my cross. I'll allow that sin, that vileness, that wickedness that was your life to become me. And in exchange, I'll give you my life. I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you my purity and your holiness. How many of you this morning would love to exchange your life for the life of Jesus? To just give it all up. To just say, you know what, here's all my works, and when I reflect back on them throughout my life, I see the ashes, I see the failure, I see the pain, I see the brokenness, I feel the shame, I see the condemnation that wraps up and summarizes all my works that I've tried to do in my own strength. And I want you to know that there's good news for you. It's called the gospel, which is good news. It's what it means. That we exchange the ashes of our life for the beauty and the splendor of the life of Christ. Paul says it right here. He says, if anyone is in Christ. Do you know what it means to be in Christ? Do you know what it means to be in this room? If you're in this room, It means that anyone outside this room, in order to consider you, in order to see you would see the outside of the building. Why? Because you're hidden in this building. They can't see through the walls. They can't peer through them. And if your life is in Christ, it means that when the Father looks at your life, when he evaluates you, he sees his own son. Isn't that good news today? 
When the Father, when your heavenly Father, who's holy and transcendent and powerful and beautiful and a consuming fire, I mean, he's completely unlike us. When he considers your life, when he evaluates it, when he looks at the standard of of righteousness that you must have in order to share in fellowship with you, with him, he sees the life of his own son. It's as if all Christ's works have become your works. It's as if all Christ's deeds have been imparted into your life. So when the father looks at your works, he sees the very works of his own son. Do you know that? Do you know that that's what the gospel proclaims to us? But we don't feel it. We don't experience the power of it. And most Christians neglect these very essential truths about what actually took place on Calvary. What actually took place within the spirit, your spirit, when you by faith put your trust fully in Christ to be your savior. And that's why, like I mentioned just a few moments ago, judging by the looks on some of your faces, that we must walk by faith and not by sight. This is a true test of our faith because everything in the emotions, everything in our feelings, everything in our self-perception, everything in our self-evaluation is condemning us and saying that these things could not be true of me. They couldn't be true of me because I don't feel like the righteousness of Christ. I don't feel like a new creation. I feel like an old creation. I don't feel like I'm filled with the power and the glory and the might of God. I feel like I'm filled with donuts. (laughs) My body's crying out against sugar and refined flour. But you're in Christ. You're in Christ. So what does that mean? That means when the enemy comes, when those thoughts come, and your times of weakness, when you're feeling fatigued, when you're feeling broken, when you're feeling challenged, when you're despairing, that voice of the enemy comes and he says, you're not in Christ. You're not worthy of the love of the Son of God. You're a hypocrite. You're a hopeless failure. You might as well just give up and give in. Why do you keep trying to come back to God? What are your emotions telling you? This is the voice of the accuser. What are your emotions telling you? Well, your emotions are telling you that you're rejected by God. That your life is not worth anything. That you are not worth anything. And when we look in the mirror, those are the thoughts that begin to flow through our minds and we begin to agree with the voice of the accuser, we begin to agree with a spirit of condemnation. And what the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to drive you away from the very one that purchased you and loved you and enjoys you. He's trying to drive you away from the very one that can heal you and forgive you and cleanse you. That's why shame and condemnation are so powerful. 
because shame and condemnation drive us away from the very one who can restore us, the very one who can deliver us, the very one that can bring us into eternal pleasure and joy and delight in his presence. Shame, the shame of our sin, the shame of our past drives us away from God and drives us into hiddenness. And that's why we must be a people that walk by faith and not by sight. We can't allow our emotions and our feelings and our broken self-evaluation to determine our standing in Christ. There's only one person who gets to determine our standing in Christ. That's Christ. There's only one person that gets to determine our standing in God. It's God. And if God's word says that I'm in Christ and I'm a new creation, it doesn't matter what my emotions tell me. It doesn't matter what my feelings tell me. It doesn't matter what my past tells me. It doesn't matter what the voice of accusation tells me. I have to choose, will I believe God or will I believe the spirit of condemnation? It's interesting that uh, Paul the Apostle in the book of Corinthians, he says that he doesn't even judge himself. Isn't that interesting? That he doesn't even judge himself. When he thinks of his own life, when he evaluates his own life, he doesn't allow himself to be the judge, to set the standard by which we measure righteousness and holiness and purity. We must let God do it. We must let God be the one as the creator, as the center of the cosmos. We're in orbit around him. We must allow him to determine the rules, to determine the way, to determine the standard, to determine our condition before him, we must allow God's voice and God's truth to be supreme and preeminent. Now look at this. Paul says, we're gonna skip away uh, ahead just a, a couple phrases there. He says, behold, all things have become new. Behold it. Behold that your spirit man, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, your spirit man has become new in God, brand new, fresh, innocent, innocent, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation holding over it. He says, if you're in Christ, behold, all things pertaining to your spirit, man, have become new in God. How do we get there? It's, it's by faith alone. We put our faith in Christ. We say, my works aren't enough. Your works are enough. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let your works be the works of my life, Jesus. He says, behold, all things have now become new in your spirit, man. And consider that word behold there because behold is more than just a quick look or a quick glance. You can be driving through Colorado, and you can look up, you can glance at the mountains, you can see the mountains. You can look at them, wow. 
That's amazing. But to behold something means that you pause. You slow down. You pull the car over. You get out. You begin to take in that thing, that mountain that you're looking at. You allow the, the splendor of it to just kind of touch your heart a little bit. You allow the majesty of creation to just kind of overwhelm your, sentence, your senses. How many of you have, have been out on a clear, starry night and, and you're looking at the, at the stars and they're so brilliant and you just begin to feel smaller and smaller and smaller, but somehow it's comforting. It's comforting to know that there's a huge God out there and yet his delight and his eyes, they, they rest upon me and he's after me. And he would suffer for me. And he would pursue me and he would love me to the end. And to behold means that we would pause and consider and fixate on. And that's what Paul is calling us to here. He says, behold, behold all things in your spirit have become new. They've become new. Do you know that the cross of Jesus Christ isn't just to help us be a little bit better? It's not just to kind of get us over the hump just a little bit. It's like, well, my works are pretty good. Like I'm a pretty moral person. I'm pretty kind. I guess if I just need a little bit of Jesus to kind of get me over the edge and get me into heaven, like sure, yeah, I'll put my faith in Jesus. That's not how the scripture describes it at all. Scripture describes you and me before Christ as dead in our trespasses. Dead, completely dead, completely incapable of doing, saying, believing anything right, dead. I mean, if you see a corpse on the ground, you're not gonna go up to that corpse and be like, hey man, like just get up, you know? You've got the power. Just stand up. Make us some coffee. Let's get a little fire pit going. It's fall outside. Let's get some cider donuts. No, a, a corpse is incapable of anything. Your spirit without God is just a corpse. It's dead on the inside. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of our Lord, releases a power that's not just rehabbing you, that's not just kind of splashing some paint on the outside of the house, put some new carpets in, let's get some better looking light fixtures, we're just gonna rehab your life a little bit. You're almost there, but you just need a little bit more. No, 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 you're not almost there, you're dead. You're dead, with, you're, you're without hope. You're without a future. You're, you're headed towards destruction. You're headed towards bearing the wrath of God and eternal torment for all of eternity. That's where you're headed. You don't just need to be made kind of refreshed and kind of new and little makeover. No, you've got to be made new. You've got to be made alive. And that's where when we look at the gospel, we see the work of God, the power of the grace of God that he extended himself towards us and yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Why? Because he wanted to make us new. 
He wanted to bring forth something in us that was dead. It was a corpse of a spirit. No life in God. No fellowship with God. No eternal life with God. Feelings of guilt and shame riddled and headed towards destruction. He says, I'm gonna make you new. God makes us new. God makes us alive. God has the power to call forth that which doesn't exist. In the beginning, he said, let there be light. And at the cross, he said, I make all things new. I'm bringing light to your spirit. I'm calling forth a dead spirit on a dead planet into the newness of life and the fellowship of the mystery of the Godhead. You're a new creation in Christ. The beauty of the Christian faith is that at the moment of the new birth, at the very moment of the new birth, you become the righteousness of God. You become justified. You become completely innocent. See, that's what makes the gospel so unique and strange compared to other religions. Other religions is that you have to live a certain life and do certain things to please certain deities so that at the end, you're approved. So that at the very end that you attain whatever their definition of being justified is. But in Christianity, it's very different. Jesus says, instead of you trying to live 30, 40, 50 years walking out the righteous standard of God's law, he says, I'm going to give you my life. I'm gonna justify you at the very beginning. You'd be eight years old at VBS camp, say, Jesus, save me. And in that moment, your spirit is made new and you become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ's whole life all of his purity, all of his righteousness, all of his holiness, the very standard and the definition of God, the, the substance of God actually enters into your spirit. Your spirit is made alive and you are forever changed, changed by the power of God. That's what I love about Paul in Romans 1, verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For... It's the power of God to salvation. How do we get saved? How do we be justified? How do we overcome the power of sin and death and temptation? How do we overcome the death that awaits every man? The power of God. That's how. There's only one way. There's only one way to overcome the penalty of sin. There's only one way to overcome the sting of death. It's the power of God. And the power of God is something that we receive. It's something that we yield to. It's something that where we have to surrender our own striving and say, God, let your works become my works. We're actually yielding to him. We're actually surrendering to him. We sing that old hymn, I surrender all, I surrender all. And often when Christians imagine what it means to surrender is, I'm gonna give up. 
I'm gonna give up the the bad stuff of my life. I'm gonna give up my past life. I'm gonna give up my sins and and my addictions and my vices and my materialism and my lust and my this and that. I'm gonna give these, I, I surrender those. Those are the easy things actually to surrender to God because we know they're wrong. What's hard to surrender to God is our own self-righteous deeds. Our deeds that bolster us in a sense of pride, of self-righteousness. Look at me. Aren't I so spiritual? Aren't I so godly? I deserve the favor of God and the praise of man. God wants to deliver us from that because our self-righteousness will not gain us anything. When we put our trust in our works, I'm so devoted in my prayer life. I'm so devoted in my giving. Look how much I've given. Look how much I've sacrificed. Look how much I've this. And that becomes the source of our confidence. We're actually operating in a spirit of pride that's called self-righteousness. And the, James tells us that he'll resist the proud. He'll actually start resisting us when we're in that posture. And the Christian life is an emptying, a constant emptying of my works mean nothing. Oh God, let your works be my all in all. My righteousness means nothing, Christ. Let your righteousness be my all in all because we're found in Christ. We're found in him, surrounded by him. When you're in Christ, it means wherever you look, Christ is there, his power, his love. It's all about him. He becomes our orientation. He becomes, as Paul said, our all in all. These truths, paragraph F, when we begin to declare them by faith, remember I said at the beginning, this verse in verse seven, we walk by faith and not by sight. We have to declare these things to be true over our lives. Because our our mind and our will, our soul is still so carnally led, so carnally broken. We don't evaluate the way that the scripture evaluates. We don't see what God sees, our mind, our will, and our emotion, that, that soul that we have is yet to be transformed and yet to be fully conformed to the mind of Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, verse two, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Fill your mind with the truth of God's word. You have a spirit that is fully righteous. That's called our justification, but your mind, your will, your emotions, they're still on the process, on the journey. That's called our sanctification. And our role as Christians is to come more and more agreement with the will of God. And how do we do that? The easiest way is to open our mouth and to speak the truth of God's word. To actually take our thoughts captive when feelings of shame and guilt and condemnation hit us, to take them captive and to declare the truth of God's word. We repent of our sins We plead the blood of Jesus over our life. And then when we do that, we believe that it's actually done because the scripture tells us that God is faithful to forgive us when we confess our trespasses. So we take our thoughts captive and we fill our thoughts 
with the thoughts of God, the thoughts revealed in his word. We declare over ourselves. You wake up every morning, say this, I am a new creation in Christ. The old things, the old way, the old patterns have passed away. I'm in Christ. I'm adopted. I've been brought in. I've been lavished with favor and riches. I'm the most wealthy person on the earth. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the power of the cross that that God wrought in you at the new birth. Nothing can separate you from it. And you've got to stand on those truths. You've got to declare this. Romans 8 verse 1. There's no condemnation. Put yourself in there. There's no condemnation over Isaac. Because he's in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn me. When Paul says here, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, to walk according to the spirit doesn't mean I wake up in the morning and I pray what color shirt should I wear because someone will be, you know, need to see someone in a green shirt and da-da-da. I'm walking by the spirit. I've heard people say that. I appreciate that. I, I, don't, I don't think that's necessary. I think the Holy Spirit can tell you what kind of shirt to wear. I mean, if an angel of the Lord appears at the foot of your bed, he's like, you shall wear the Adidas jersey. You know, do that. But I think just uh, for the rest of us that don't hear God like that, the vast majority of us that don't hear that clearly, those directives that clearly, it simply means to declare the truth of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, right? He tells Moses that you don't have to go up on a mountain. You don't have to go far away to hear the truth, but it's in your mouth to speak what is true. There is now no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. And it seems so simple, And maybe we're too advanced for this. I don't know. Maybe it seems strange that in today's modern society with all of our technology and all of our human wisdom and our Wikipedia and everything that we would just kind of give up on this and be like, well, there's probably another way. We just need the five truths and the four keys and the this and the that. And he gave it to us so that we could all do it. Speak the words of truth. Speak them over yourself. Speak them to God, declare them. Let your mind be filled with the truth of God's word that you would actually think and believe these things in your mind. Walk in the spirit, not according to the flesh. The flesh has its own standards. It has its own means by which God will approve you. And they're all lies. Don't walk according to the flesh. Walk according to the spirit. Declare over yourself, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and because of Christ Jesus. Let's go to the second page. The old things have passed away, Paul tells us. Old things have passed away. I see four ways in which the old things have passed away. Number one is that we did not previously possess the righteousness of God. But as the old things passed away, We've become the righteousness of God and that righteousness can never be improved upon. 
The very righteousness that God gave us was of such a quality, was of such a power, was of such a, uh, uh, has an enduring resilience that it can never be improved upon at the new birth. This is the glory of the gospel is that the righteousness of God himself was imparted into your bank account. The fullness of God the fullness of who he is, of the fullness of his spirit and his power. He took up residence inside of you. You've become the righteousness of God forever. The old way, meaning coming short of the righteousness of God, has passed away. You'll never be short of the righteousness of God if you have put your faith in Christ and become a new creation in him. Number two, you didn't have the assurance of being loved or no, nor enjoyed by God. You've now received the assurance that God loves you and enjoys you. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 8, he says, God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were sinners, he died for us. In other words, the cross, the cross I'm not talking about the, the movie. I'm not talking about the icon. I'm not talking about the idea. I'm talking about the actual, factual, historical event that took place on Calvary 2,000 years ago. The cross was the demonstration to you that God loves you and enjoys you forever. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love, his affection, and his delight and his joy over your life was declared throughout all the ages from that hill on Calvary where Christ laid down his life for you. It's undisputable. People can argue with it. Your emotions can tell you otherwise. The pains of your life can try and talk you out of it, but there is nothing that can separate you from being loved and enjoyed and delighted in from God at the moment of your new birth. God doesn't wait till you're a mature Christian in order to love you and enjoy. What parent waits for their child to be 30 years old before they're finally like, oh, I actually love you now? There's process and season of growth and maturity and better decisions and all that, but from the very moment those little suckers pop out, you're like, just, you're just in. You're just like, yes, I love this little thing. And you're gonna get so sleep deprived and luckily God made them so cute. They're just so cute. God forever loves you and enjoys you. Even in the midst of your weakness, even in the midst of your failure and your setback, we rise up, we repent, we say, God, forgive me, wash me. We set our face again toward walking in outward righteousness and, and humility before God. The Lord says, it's done. I've forgotten this sin. I love you. I enjoy you. Let's walk together for billions of years. Number three, you didn't have power over temptation. The feelings of, of greed would strike your spirit. The feelings of lust would strike you. Oh no. You feel pulled 
to sinful behavior. You feel pulled towards sinful desire. Do you know that before you were a new creation, you had no power to confront that thing, but now you have the blood of Christ. You have the blood of Christ that is victorious over all sin and temptation and evil. But if the believer doesn't plead the blood of Christ, if they don't appropriate the blood of Christ, if they don't call on help from heaven, then you'll give in to that sin and temptation. But now you have a power. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You could say, Holy Spirit, deliver me from the power of this temptation. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind and over my life. I'm a new creation in you. We begin to wage uh, the good fight against that spirit of darkness, against those sinful desires. We begin to, we have a power now that's working in us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to overcome the power of shame and temptation and darkness. We're not left without hope. Before, we just kind of had to ride it out. You get, you get hit with anger, and then you just have to wait till the anger subsides. Now you can take authority in the name of Jesus over your own anger. You take authority over it. Don't ride it out for two, three days through two, three weeks. Don't ride it out. Take authority. Plead the blood of Christ. Say, you know what? I'm a new creation in Christ. The scripture says the old has passed away. There's some old feelings right now coming to the surface. In the name of Jesus, break the power of this temptation over my life, Lord. I plead your blood. I'm a child of God. This is who I am. You've called me to walk without sin. You've given me an advocate, a helper. His name is Holy Spirit. He lives in me. Number four, you're no longer devoid of the Spirit. You're no longer dead and empty on the inside. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you. He lives inside of you. God is not just far away somewhere out beyond our solar system and we're just kind of crossing our fingers hoping that he one day shows up. God is within you. The Holy Spirit is within you. We say, well, I don't feel that. Well, that's because we're not in tune with our spirit man. We live in the seat of our emotions and our feelings. But when we begin to understand what is true, that the Holy Spirit lives in me, and we begin to declare those truths, and we begin to act in a way that is led by the Spirit of God, the Spirit begins to overtake the seat of our carnal emotions. It begins to overtake our feelings of despair and loneliness. It begins to overtake our carnality. But we have to understand the truths of God's word. We must understand Christian doctrine in order to walk in Christian practice. All things have become new. A man is comprised of a spirit, a soul, and a body. And at the new birth, the spirit is made new. The soul of the individual is being sanctified. It's in a process of being made new. And your body will be made new at the resurrection. So it is true to say that you have been saved, that you are being saved, and that you will be saved. Scripture talks about our salvation in all of those tenses, the past, the present, and the future. But the past, the cross, the new birth is the starting place of our victory. And we've got to get that clear in our mind and begin to declare those things 
before we begin to walk in the other ones. But it's still true. I believe that when we pass from death to life, I believe that we will be shocked at how alive we are in God. I mean, absolutely shocked. Your spirit, Paul tells us that our life has been hidden with Christ. First Peter 3 describes the hidden person of the heart. Our spirit is so uh, uh, concealed from us, from our emotions and from our carnality. But I want to assure you that when you cross through that veil, your spirit is so alive and free and vibrant. I mean, imagine standing before God without fear, sin, or shame without the brokenness and the frailty of your body, without the trauma and the pain of your past and the ashes of your own decisions of sin and failure and darkness. Imagine that, just being lifted. That's what it's like to cross into the presence of the Lord. That's what it's like to be with him forever and ever and ever, the glory of God within you. I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna look down, I'm making this up, of course, but I think you're gonna look down at the spirit of God in you and go, whoa, and you're gonna look at him on the throne, you're gonna go, whoa, and there's gonna be a whole lot of woes. And you're gonna look at your brother and grandma's gonna be there, and you'll be like, I didn't even know you were a believer. Whoa, you're shining with the glory of God. And these truths, these are, these are real truths, and that's why we must walk by faith and not by sight. We must declare for what is true because our life is just a breath. It's just a moment long and then you'll have billions of years with God. Billions of years with the saints forever and ever will be with him. Bringing this to a close, how does this happen? God, God has reconciled us to himself through his son. When we were dead, sinners, rebellious, wicked God of his own desire said, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna fix the relationship. I'm gonna cut to the very core. That's actually what the word reconcile means. It's made of two parts. It means I'm gonna come down to the exact point and I'm gonna change it. See, all the fruit of our lives, all the wickedness, the vileness that we see in culture and society, it comes down to a very root. There's a root problem and that's the heart is set in enmity towards God. And the cross of Christ pierces down to the very enmity. And Ephesians 2 says he brought peace there. He reconciled there. He came to the very point that you needed and he made the change. He did not impute our trespasses to us. When he checks our bank account, it's not negative a billion. <laughs> We're in the black. We're, we're, we're above and beyond the riches of God's glory and grace has been deposited into our life because of the works of cross. No works of our own have done this or merited it. Invite the worship team to come out. Look at this phrase. This is a real test of your faith. <laughs> Verse 21, I know it is of mine. You've become the righteousness of God in him. Not just righteousness, the righteousness of God. That's what you've become at the new birth, the moment of your salvation. 
God has transformed you. He's given you something that you could not get on your own. He's given us the gift of God. It came through his son. It was sealed on the cross and it began a life of victory that will culminate in the age to come where we're living in glorified bodies, walking around the new Jerusalem going, how did we get here? We were just sinners like 15 minutes ago. How did we get here? And the Lord's gonna go, yes. Exactly, that's what you're supposed to say. I brought you here. I did this for you. Something was done to you. Something occurred that happened to you. It's the gospel of grace. It's the good news of God. It's good news because he did it to us. He transformed us. He came after us and he's after you. Let's stand. Maybe this morning you haven't come to the place where you have peace with Christ on the inside. Your conscience cries out against you because you have not surrendered your works to God. Maybe this morning you need to be refreshed in the joy of your salvation. Maybe you need to be reminded that you're already in a place of victory rather than trying to get into a place of victory. Maybe you need to know that victory was your starting place, not just your ending place. Maybe you've become so weighed down with discouragement and despair, you said, you know what, I think God's gonna give up on me. I've gone too far. I've resisted him too much. I'm too far gone. I'm here to tell you today that that is not true, that Christ the power of Christ, the power of the cross, the power of his blood is available to you now, was available to you last week, is available to you a week from now, the power of the blood of the Son of God. Who can contend with that power? Others of you, you need a miracle in your body. You're fighting sickness, illness, you feel so weak, we wanna pray with you this morning because we have faith to believe that if God can make us his righteousness, he can heal our bodies. What's a migraine compared to making my spirit alive at the cross? Come Holy Spirit, touch our spiritual family. Julia had a testimony about this, go ahead Julia. I was on a personal retreat with the Lord and one morning I was waking up and what seemed to be the audible voice of the Lord called my name and that was significant for me because my background was very a very from a very broken identity so hearing him call my name was like whoa and um, so I was still coming out of that sleep and my spirit was real sensitive and I just felt just coming up from within me. It was just like, Lord, I just want to be who you made me to be. And he said, you already are. You just need to believe it. And then that day I went for a walk and um, it was in the spring and butterflies were everywhere. And I've identified with butterflies since I was a child. 
and I was watching one and he said, Juliet, he said, you are a butterfly who still believes you're a caterpillar. And so it started me to really start to seek him to overcome the, the, cat, the caterpillar mentality that so many of us have. And I have a choice every day when I get up. Am I going to put on the mind of Christ? Am I going to believe the narrative of what my father says about me? Or am I going to listen to the voice of the enemy? Or even my own carnal nature that wants to accuse me all the time. And the passage that, that comes to me right now is that we are, you know, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Like Isaac said, we're hidden in Christ. It says, it says in Colossians 3, we've, you've died, we've all died, but our lives are hidden in Christ. And so if we can keep our perspective there and really trust the Father to help us to see things from his narrative and to overcome that, what I call a caterpillar mindset, it's going to set us free. And I really believe that there are people here today, you're saying, I have a broken identity, but that does not define who I am. And one other little thing that the Lord taught me through this process is there was one day I was wrestling with my weakness. And he said to me, he said, Juliet, it's not my desire or goal to strengthen you in your weakness. It's not about you. He says, as you decrease, my spirit will increase through you. And I'm learning more and more as I get out of the Lord's way and just yield. His life really does flow out. And that's what he wants. You know, when one last little thing is it was stirring so deep today. When um, Brent, Brenton opened up with that, pat, that song um, about, it's from um, Psalm 24, I believe, about, you know, that break loose the heavenly gates, open wide. You know, it, that whole psalm is talking about the earth is the Lord and everything in it and all the peoples of the earth are his. The, the harvest is plentiful. It's like it's ripe. And the Lord's saying, you know what, my beloved ones, put on the mind of Christ. You are overcomers. It's time to bring in the harvest, but we have to walk like we're overcomers. We can't walk with those caterpillar mindsets or we're not going to make a difference in this world because no one's going to want to be a caterpillar. They're not going to want to be like us. We need to rise up in victory like Isaac was saying. Just anyone across the room, just put out your hands before the Lord right now. Holy Spirit, we ask for the release of the grace of God and the truth of the gospel, that it would prevail. We ask that it would yes. prevail over mindsets. We ask that it would prevail over circumstances, prevail over negative emotions. Lord, those that are bound in the feelings of shame and condemnation, we ask for the power of your word to set them free even now. Those joining us online, we ask you that you would release your glorious gospel, that you would touch their hearts with your power, the power of your love, not our works, your works, not our righteousness, your righteousness. And we surrender today. This morning, if you want a fresh touch from the Lord, you'd like someone to pray with you, come down to the front just as we go into a time of worship. You need healing, you need breakthrough, you need to surrender your life to God. Come down to the front. We're gonna go into a time of worship. Thank you, Julia, for what you share. Come Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. Not in my
Unfortunate one, well, you know me. 